Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Time for another edition of Parenting Your Challenging Child. Um, we do this every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and uh, today actually would be a great day to call in. That number is 347-994-2981. Um, if we get callers, we'll talk to people on the air live. That's the wonderful thing about doing a live program. People can call in. And the other wonderful thing about this program is that it's recorded. And as I'm sure you already know, all of the programs are archived in the listening library of the Lives in the Balance website. Um, How's it going for you in understanding your behaviorally challenging child and in identifying his or her lagging skills and unsolved problems and in prioritizing those unsolved problems and in solving those problems, preferably collaboratively and proactively. Um, All of that can be very hard. Uh, Each part can be hard and The goal of this program is to help you um, get better at all of those hard parts so that life is better with you and your challenging child. Um, That's the goal. That's why I would do this every week. Uh, Here's an email that I'm going to start with, and it actually doesn't have a question uh, uh, attached to it, but uh, it's touching. Hi, Dr. Green. I've only just started reading your book. I've watched most of the videos on your site. I have three children, and only one of them, the middle son, now eight, is difficult. He's been this way for about four or five years. Prior to that, he was very good-natured and easygoing. Couldn't understand why he always wanted to push my buttons. He seemed to need my attention, be seeking my attention, but no matter how much positive attention I gave him, it didn't cure him. I often remarked on this, but couldn't fix it. While I still haven't fixed him or even gotten started trying yet, your advice has given me permission to be the loving, understanding mother I want to be to him. We talked last night very calmly with me mostly just listening, and he said, I want to be good. He rarely makes statements like that. He generally keeps his guard up with me and acts like he has no idea why his behavior is unacceptable and could care less that I don't like it. However, in the past, when he's made similar statements, I'm ashamed to say I replied something to the tune of, well, then why don't you? Or, I just don't believe that. Last night I said, I know you do, and I'm going to try to help you. He looked very touched. I also appreciate that one of your videos made it clear that trying harder is not a viable solution. We tried to do a plan B last night. We didn't get anywhere near a solution, but I enjoyed the dialogue. My son's first response was that he would try harder next time. That has always been the answer I was looking for in the past, not realizing that if he could try harder, he would have already. 
I explained to him that I was sure he was already trying very hard, that we needed to think some more and keep looking for a solution. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All I've ever wanted is to have a good relationship with him, and I'm starting to think it may be possible. Well, uh, emails like yours are the reason that there is a lives in the balance, the reason that there are all those free resources on the Lives in the Balance website to help people implement uh, solving problems collaboratively uh, and learn about it without it costing a nickel. Um, thanks so much for your email. Uh, if I was to just comment, which I'm having trouble resisting, you know, I, I should just leave it alone, but I'm having trouble resisting it. The goal isn't to fix him. The goal is to solve the problems collaboratively and proactively that are giving rise to the episodes in which he's letting us know through whatever behaviors he's exhibiting that he's having trouble solving those problems. So we're in the collaborative and problem, the proactive problem-solving business, not the kid-fixing business, and I know that you were just sort of speaking casually there, but sounds like you've got kids do all if they can down pat, that if your son could do well, he would do well, and that's fantastic. Now, if you need any help doing plan B, run into trouble at any point along the way, you know where to call. Looks like we're going to get through some emails today. Hi, Dr. Green. I've read your book, The Explosive Child, and using Plan B has helped a lot already. We still have some questions that have come up and don't know what the right response is. The most common one is my son appears to misinterpret the situation or he does not know what is upsetting him. So he creates this story to explain why he did what he did. Essentially, he claims he is being made fun of by peers, but I have been there myself and nothing of the sort is going on. I don't want to dismiss his concern by telling him it didn't happen, but I also don't want to act like it really happened because it didn't. For lack of a better term, how do I address a fictitious concern? Great question, but it sounds like you already know at least part of the answer. Uh, there are no, there is no such thing as a fictitious concern. Now, I know you, and I know you have a theory that he's either misinterpreting the situation, possible, or he creates a story to explain. Um, I've always said that there's always a kernel of truth behind concerns that we adults somehow believe aren't viable, aren't what's really going on. And so I would take uh, your son's concerns at face value, but try to clarify them. Um, and so here's the worst case scenario. 
because here's the deal. When you're drilling for information in the empathy step of Plan B, I've always said that um, the child's concerns tend to get clarified and any anything that might not be spot-on accurate comes out in the Plan B wash, is the way I've always put it. It's really the wash of the empathy step. Um, and by simply drilling for information, I think that you're not... I don't think you want to, and it sounds like you know this, question the legitimacy of the concern. Um, that's actually probably a pretty surefire way to ensure that your son stops talking. Um, a lot of folks stop talking when the legitimacy of their concerns are called into question. So we don't want to do that. But we do want to drill well. And I find that through the drilling process, what's really going on becomes clarified. And it's not unusual in the empathy step for what's really going on to end up in a completely different place than the child's first response. But we can ask questions, and maybe you're doing this already, but we can ask clarifying questions like, what are the other kids doing? What are they saying when they're making fun of you? What are they making fun of? Um, What do they say when they're making fun of you? Um, the more detail we get, worst case scenario, we on the issue of you've been there but haven't seen it, to ask your son to point out to you the next time it's happening so that you are clued in to what's going on. Because it sounds like sometimes you're there. You're saying you've been there yourself. Sometimes you're there. It would be great if he could point it out to you. And I wouldn't say that you haven't seen it uh, and that you therefore doubt it. I would say, um, boy, they must be very good at what they're doing because um, it's even escaping my attention when I'm there. Can you point it out to me the next time it's happening? Between that and the usual clarifying that goes on in the empathy step, I think you'll be able to move off of where you're at now. And we won't be calling it a fictitious concern for long. Bottom line is, everybody's entitled to their point of view. If your son feels that he is Um, being made fun of by peers, he's entitled to that point of view. It's just that as we clarify it, we may be calling it something different. It may not be exactly as he's describing it. We'll let him have his point of view, though. We all have our point of view. The trick is to get his concerns on the table and then your concerns on the table so that you can come up with a solution that addresses both concerns. But it's not unusual for adults to be skeptical about the kids' concerns 
And it's not unusual for adults to believe that the kids' concerns are made up, lacking in veracity, but we don't want to go there. Once again, there's almost always a kernel of truth to a kid's concerns. We need to find out what that kernel is, and that's usually accomplished through the drilling process of the empathy step of Plan B. One other quick point, and I don't know if this is what's going on here. The, the circumstances, and I don't know, once again, I don't know if this is true here, but the circumstances in which adults most often believe that a kid's story, as it were, isn't accurate is when there are eyewitness accounts and the uh, adult believes they saw something different than the kid's retelling of the story. Eyewitness accounts tend to be very unreliable, and the last thing we'd want to do is get into a, here's what I saw, no, that's not how it happened, here's what I saw. Well, the way you saw it isn't exactly what was happening, here's how I saw it. And now we are getting into an eyewitness account discrepancy of a one-time thing that occurred, but that one-time thing, if it's representative of a chronic unsolved problem, then what happened during that one time doesn't matter anywhere nearly so much as the fact that it's a problem in the first place. So if Dougie is having difficulty with the rules of box ball with Billy and they are getting into lots of arguments during box ball because of disagreements over the rules, then what happened on Friday last week during one box ball game doesn't really matter. Even if you're talking about the aftermath of a disagreement, which is perhaps they screamed at each other or swore at each other or came to blows or one of them stalked off from the game, that's a one-timer. That's a one-time example of a chronic unsolved problem. We don't want to be spending our time talking with Dougie and Billy. Don't ask me why I'm coming up with those names today. They're just the first ones on my mind. Um, Dougie and Billy, we don't want to be talking with them about what happened on Friday. We want to be talking with them about the difficulties they're having agreeing on the rules during box ball. What happened on Friday because of that disagreement actually isn't the unsolved problem. It's, it's the maladaptive behavior that is the byproduct of the unsolved problem. The unsolved problem is that they're having difficulty agreeing on the rules during box ball. Good? Good. Let's move on to another. No phone calls today. I should give the number again. Usually we get a lot of calls on this program. Uh, the number is 347-994-2981. Uh, it's okay if there are no callers. It's just that um, this is uh, it gives us an opportunity to answer lots of emails here. So here's another. Dr. Green, thanks for sharing your knowledge and changing my perspective of kids do well if they want to to kids do well if they can. 
This message gives me hope and renewed energy to interact, to change the way I interact with my son. He has most of the lagging skills checked off on the ELSIP. How do we directly teach him to improve these lagging skills so that he has less unsolved problems to tackle at home and school, thereby giving him the chance at a better quality of life? Thanks for your question. Not an unusual one to get, um, but here's the answer. You're actually not going to spend most of your time directly teaching the skills. You're going to spend most of your time directly solving the problems that are byproducts of those lagging skills. And in solving problems collaboratively and proactively, you are going to be simultaneously but indirectly teaching the skills that you've checked off on the ALSIP. There actually isn't great technology yet, may never be, we'll see, for teaching those lagging skills directly. Now, there are some lagging skills that could be taught directly, especially in the social realm and in the language processing and communication realm. And uh, the person who I always refer people to and defer to on that is my good friend, Michelle Garcia-Winner, who's created a, and she's a speech and language therapist who's created an entire model focused on teaching lagging social and language processing and communication skills. Uh, her model is called Social Thinking, and if you Google Social Thinking, you'll find her website, along with lots of the resources um, that can help you teach some lagging skills directly. Um, I have lots of faith that some lagging skills could be taught directly, just not most. Those that would be taught directly, mostly, once again, in the social and language processing and communication realm. I am a big admirer of Michelle's work, and now you know how to find it. Now, the rest of the lagging skills, and even a lot of social and language processing and communication skills can be taught by merely doing plan B, especially if you're doing it collaboratively and proactively. Here's the example I always give, and this may be on another radio program as well, but what's the problem with repetition? Uh, let's say that Bobby is lacking the skill of shifting from one mindset or task to another, difficulty making transitions. That's a lagging skill. Lots of kids have that one checked off on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Let's say that an unsolved problem that we believe is associated with that lagging skill is difficulty moving from choice time to math. If we, that's an unsolved problem. If we solve that problem with Bobby, collaboratively and proactively, a few very important and good things will happen. Good thing number one, the problem will get solved. That's good. And the challenging behaviors that are associated with that unsolved problem will subside. That's fabulous. 
But another good thing has happened by us solving that problem collaboratively and proactively, something that wouldn't happen if we were doing if we were solving the problem unilaterally, if it's unilateral problem solving, the adult's the one who's coming up with the solution, and the adult who's imposing the solution. And I don't think a kid is learning anything there, except that adults always know the answer. Adults always have the right answer, and adults are, of course, also willing to impose their right answers on kids. Ugh. I don't know if we want to be teaching that. I think I'd rather be teaching the child that. This would be the empathy step. He or she is able to think about, clarify, articulate his or her concerns. This would be the define the problem step. He or she is able to listen to the concerns of another party and take those concerns into account. This next part would come with the invitation. He or she is learning how to brainstorm solutions, think of alternative solutions, project those solutions into the future so as to evaluate likely outcomes and pick the best one. Wow. There sure are a lot of skills being taught when you're doing plan B, especially when you're doing it collaboratively. Well, it is collaborative. When you're doing it proactively. I don't know if all of the skills training benefits of plan B take place when it's happening emergently. I'm just not sure it's quite so potent. That's anecdotal. What what have we now accomplished? Well, Bobby now has one solution in his what I should do and I need to make a transition repertoire. We've indirectly begun teaching Bobby to make transitions better. He's now got one solution in his repertoire. Is he good at making transitions yet? No. When will he be good at making transitions? Well, he may never be stellar at making transitions. Our goal is to help him be better than he is now. That's our goal. Caller from area code 620. I'll be with you in just a sec. The goal is to help him be better. He'll get even better at that skill when he has more than one solution in his repertoire for making transitions, and we will know that he is well on his way when he starts taking the solutions that we've now helped him get into his making transitions repertoire. And he starts applying those solutions to not only the transitions that got those solutions into his repertoire, but also starts generalizing them to other transitions and other situations involving making transitions. Did we teach Bobby how to make transitions directly? No. I don't think any of us were really taught how to make transitions directly. Most of us were half-decent at it in the first place, and the kids who aren't half-decent at it in the first place and have adults doing Plan B with them get good at making transitions indirectly by us coming up with solutions together to problems involving making transitions. Now, 
Pretty cool, eh? What this also tells you, though, is that irrespective of what unlagging skill gave rise to the unsolved problem that you're working on using proactive plan B, you're teaching a lot of skills that are just more general. Cool, eh? Thank you for your email, as always. And now we are going to move to our caller from, hold on just one second. Let me click on the right thing here. Area code 620. How are you today? Fine, and yourself? I'm doing well. What's on your mind? I am calling as a follow-up. I've called several times in the last few weeks. Uh, my yes. husband and I... I'm fine. Thank you. Um, my husband and I, um, after your workshop, have decided to uh, work on our 10-year-old son's lagging skill of difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks, which was the first place in the ALSEP where we took a stop. Okay. And so we have been uh, tediously listing out the unsolved problems that go along with this lagging skill, uh, of which there are many, including for him playing a game um, as soon as a competitor, be it a person, uh, his brother, a friend, one of us, um, one of the computer players, whatever is going on, as soon as somebody moves ahead, the task of the game becomes a challenge for him. And he either quits, explodes, or does a combination of the two and has difficulty persisting with that. So I want to help you word the unsolved problem. Thank you. But I also want to um, make sure I know what's going on. But there's another point I want to make before that. It sounds like you prioritized, and of course, and let me rewind the tape just a second. Uh, Most kids who people use the ALSEP to identify their lagging skills and unsolved problems are going to have lots of lagging skills checked off and even more unsolved problems filled in because most lagging skills are going to have more than one unsolved problem associated with them. I usually recommend that people prioritize by unsolved problem. It sounds like you and your husband are prioritizing by lagging skill. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't usually recommend that people do that, although I must say, since you're now moving on to the unsolved problems, it sounds like though you are prioritizing by lagging skill, you decided to start with difficulty persisting on challenging or tedious tasks, you've moved on to prioritizing an unsolved problem that's associated with that lagging skill. Now, what do I think of that? I think it's not the way I usually recommend people do that, and here's why. Usually prioritizing, and I'm just thinking this through here, Usually prioritizing, and you got to prioritize because you've got too many unsolved problems to work on to try to solve them all at once. So you're usually picking two or three. Usually I'm encouraging people to prioritize by either safety, 
meaning the unsolved problems, not the lagging skills, mind you, the unsolved problems that could that are causing safety issues. And if there aren't any safety issues, I'm recommending that people prioritize by frequency, which unsolved problems are setting in motion challenging episodes most frequently. This so now let's one. put this is one. Yes. He gets, so somehow he gets you physically came, aggressive with this. Got it. So somehow you came to a high priority unsolved problem because it can set in motion safety issues. Perhaps doesn't sound like it matters that much. You ended up in the right place anyways. Perhaps right. with an extra step, which is that um, you picked a lagging skill and then you picked a high-priority lagging skill and then determined which unsolved problem you wanted to start it with. The only way I could see that potentially working against you, and it didn't in this instance because you still came up with a good high-priority unsolved problem, is that if you're not prioritizing by unsolved problems that are setting in motion safety issues and not prioritizing by unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes most frequently, but instead prioritizing by the lagging skill that you feel for whatever reason is most important, that could lead people to start working on things that are really not the most important things to work on. But that, that didn't happen in this instance, so I think we're good to go. But let's so that help helps you clarify, on... though. That, clar- that clarifies a lot for us good. because what we noticed once we, even though we went kind of in through the back door of this, um, once we got to the unsolved problem of um, of playing a game, because this is where we we do see that this challenging behavior uh, occur almost daily because he plays games at school plays games as soon as he gets home, and it doesn't matter whether he's building a connects thing um, by himself or interacting with a person or, like I said, one of the automatic computer opponents. Um, as soon as he realizes that he's not made a winning move, he falls apart and either starts destroying whatever it is that he's playing on or attacking the person that he's playing with. Got it. And so... It's a, it is a safety thing, and it's um, it's one of the ways that uh, he demonstrates the lagging skills most frequently. And another thing that my husband and I noticed once we backed off of the of the unsolved problem and looked at the list of lagging skills, he just lit it up like a tree, you know, like a Christmas tree. He just it was there's a ton of lagging skills that come along with this interaction for him. Got it. So um, I went uh, very carefully into a plan B with him um, yesterday because today he is headed to a bowling alley with his fifth grade class. Got and it. there's an arcade. And when an arcade game does not go his way, he can get quite quite frustrated and aggressive. Um, so during the plan B, I I really worked to not have the maladaptive behavior in my uh, empathy step. And I said Good. something That's one of the like, guidelines. To yeah. Tell us, if you don't mind, how uh-huh. did you word the unsolved problem? Because you've, I know that you were at my talk in Lincoln, Nebraska recently. Yes. yes. I don't think that was last week. I think it was the week before, but I couldn't, the week before. I couldn't possibly tell you. But um, – <laughs> So you were there. You you sat through a you know meaningful amount of time of hearing me um, describe 
how the unsolved problems should be worded, and just for the sake of our listeners, usually begin almost always beginning with the word difficulty, mm-hmm. and then what it is that the child is having difficulty doing, the expectation he's having difficulty meeting. So if you don't, uh, I hope this isn't putting you on the spot, but how did you word the, un- before we get into what happened in Plan B, how did you word the unsolved problem? I said, I noticed that you have difficulty when an arcade game does not go your way. All right. And I know that's Diffi- a little broad, and I was ready for him to say, I don't know. <laughs> I really was, because when, when the words came out of my mouth, I thought, oh, if Dr. Green were here, he'd say that's really broad. <laughs> but well, I didn't want to uh- say, You're, you got angry. Um, or you hit the machine, or you came at me with this. I didn't no, want to bring up. Okay. Yep, you left you left the maladaptive behavior out, and that's fantastic. The only question, of course, and and this is your concern. You 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 are clear that you left the beha- the maladaptive behavior out. Um. And let's run. It sounds like this was a productive plan B. So let's roll with difficulty when an arcade game and that's a good example of splitting you're not talking about all games right oh i was very specific i actually said the game because i had gone to the bowling alley with him and a friend yesterday to kind of practice and see what potentially could happen (laughs) and um and he got upset and so i said the specific arcade game i'm sorry i didn't I, i said i noticed that you have had difficulty when the road trip game didn't go your way what's up with that yeah. So I talked about the specific game that he did have difficulty with. Okay. Um, and as you mentioned a couple of weeks ago in Lincoln, um, he started um, a litany of things about the arcade itself first that, that were kind of uh, superficial to the problem, but he didn't get to what was at the crux of the matter for him at first. First he mentioned that, well, the arcade, you know, has removed some games and put in some new games, and that frustrated me because the games have physically moved in the arcade. And and I empathized with that. And then he said, and one of the new games makes a really loud noise, and that kept frustrating me. I said, mm-hmm. great, thank you for telling me. I had no idea that the new game's noise frustrated you. And then the next two things that came out of his mouth, one was something I've known all his life, he said, I love winning. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel exactly the same way. I love winning, too, and I know this about you. You've loved winning since you were an infant. I, I know this. Good. What else? And the next thing that came out of his mouth was such an aha moment for me, and I think eventually for him, too. He Good. said, when I play, I expect to win. And that was huge because how, how, now I. I know I, what you're saying, but how? Let, let me hear how so. How was that a big aha moment for you? Well, it was big for me because I I I know the human nature to want to win, but I think for me he the expectation that he's going to win. Then as soon as he makes a move, either in a chess game or in a computer game or an arcade game where he realizes that whatever just happened, be it luck or strategy, um, has put him behind, he panics. 
because he's expecting every move that he makes is going to be a, a winning move. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense for me now, knowing how he reacts when when he potentially makes a wrong move, why that frustration comes up. Because he's expecting every single thing and every single game to go his way. Now, and as here's... soon as yes. Go ahead. No, as soon as he he then takes a misstep, as soon as the wheel of fortune spins and he gets to an amount where he knows it's mathematical mathematically impossible for him to get to the winning number, then he freaks out because he has no control. Here's what I was going to ask. Um, he said he expects to win. And then it sounds like you had an aha moment from that. Mm-hmm. Um did he say the rest of what you concluded, or did you conclude the rest? Or was he able to articulate further? And number one, I'm glad you had an aha moment. Um, I just don't want to get too enthusiastic about the aha moment because it would be right. better to hear it from him if he can tell you. How did you um, come to those other conclusions, um, through insight or through him actually telling you? I hate to say it, but through insight. Got it. So <laughs> but I it's just had a like the pieces of the puzzle came together, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, no, because his very next comment after I empathized with that was back to um, one of the new games that was there. Um, Got it. That was doing something that he wasn't expecting it to. So. Got it. Yeah. So I'm it was, ecstatic it was an that you had an aha moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ecstatic that your son's this is the goal of the empathy step is for us to gain new insights. I can't tell you the number of kids, especially kids of the black and white thinking variety for whom perfectionism is not an uncommon trait who go into games with the quite explicit mindset that there is really only one thing that can happen here. They are going to win. They need to win. They have every expectation of winning. And as you're saying, every um, move is therefore viewed by the child in the context of movement toward winning. Now, even though I've seen that in many kids, they all have a different experience of that, and they would all put it in a different way. And I think that there's value added in hearing the way your son is interpreting both the need to win and the expectation to win, mm-hmm. but also, and this this would just be more drilling, what it means to him to not win. Right. Just so we don't jump to any conclusions about what the experience is for him mm-hmm. um, that may or may not be accurate, but the, I mean the biggest part of this is I am delighted that you've had what we might call an initial but 
huge aha moment. But I do think that when it comes to the invitation and you're going to try to solve this problem, you may have done that already, but or you may be only have made it through the empathy step, a lot of the details that we might get further from your son's concern or perspective on this might actually help inform the solution once we start coming up with it. But let me ask you that. Did, did you all move into the invitation as well? You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I did, um, but as soon as I started to um, try to outline what my concern was, I noticed that I had an issue. So I'm really glad that I, I followed up today with this call because um, I didn't have enough information. Because my concern came out something like, well, I'm concerned that uh, if you continue to react this way when a game doesn't go your way, that you're going to be sad throughout your life. And that sounded like a really puny concern to me. <laughs> you know, well, you don't and want him I to be knew... sad throughout his life, but... <laughs> well, I just knew at that point that I didn't have enough information to have a truly valid concern that he could, he could bite into and really um, take into account. Uh, and I also figured that out when it took him two or three times for me to reword my concern because, as I've mentioned to you before, I have my son empathize back my concern so that I make sure mm -hmm. that he's hearing what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and he couldn't for two or three times, and that's I was like, oh, okay, I'm not really doing this right, but I'm, we're working at it, and he's engaged in the conversation, so I'm going to keep this going. Um, and um, But at that point, I knew that I, I was missing some crucial information, um, and I... I feel really uh, jazzed up right now to go back and dig a little bit further and have him articulate, as you said, not only about his expectation to win, but also what it feels like for him not to. Yes. So and that I can that'll have help. more. Yeah. Go ahead. Exactly. Well, that'll help you. Um, that'll help you refine your concern. Right. But it also makes sure that his concerns get addressed once you get to the invitation. But right. yes, it's, I mean, number one, I think you're doing fantastic. Just fantastic. Um, Thank you. First of all, you're doing it. Secondly, all we're really doing here is fine-tuning. Right. And, you know, fine-tuning tends to make this go a little bit better. Um, right. I've done this 10,000 times, so I'm sometimes able to hear um, rather rapidly where things could have gone a little bit better or a little bit further. Um, but I think you are doing amazing work with your son. I think that it would just help you clarify your concerns better if you knew more about his. Um, I remember just an anecdote, a kid who I used to play chess with in my office. And um, boy, did he hate losing. And I usually won. So he's, and I'm not that good of a chess player, but he wasn't either. And so we weren't, you know, so he was getting a meaningful amount of practice at um, losing. Um, and um, eventually my concern was, my concern was that I kind of wanted playing chess with him to be fun for me. And when he got all bent out of shape over just because he lost, it wasn't fun for me anymore, and I uh, didn't really want to play chess with him if it wasn't going to be fun. And here's the cool part. He got it. 
And then when we start playing, and we, you know, I don't remember what solution we came up with because it was a while ago, but when we would um, play, I would check in with him and say, this still fun or should we pause? And he'd say, no, it's still fun because okay. I'm beating you here. I'm about to win. And, you know, he'd say, no, this is still fun. I'm enjoying playing. Good. So you've got a little bit of work to do to go back. Um, Call back next week and let us know what happens. I will. Thank you so much for your help. Thanks for calling. You are providing such a nice thing for listeners as well because people who are listening and at the early phases of doing Plan B with their kids are learning through you because you're – going through many of the things that people who are new at this go through. So, number one, I hope the information helps. And number two, thanks for helping other people do it better. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the outlet. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. And uh, you know what? That's going to do it for us today. Um, boy, uh, you know, I got some feedback over the weekend. Somebody said to me, these programs just keep getting better and better. And I think they may be right. Have a good week. Talk to you next week. Take care.